With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. He looks determined without being ruthless. Something heroic in his manner. There's a courage about him. Doesn't look like a killer. Comes across so calm. Acts like he has a dream. Full of passion. You don't trust me, huh? Well, you know why. I do. We're not supposed to trust anyone in our profession anyway. Peace, 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 and welcome to The Rematch, which is part of the BasketballNews.com podcast network. On The Rematch, you'll hear in-depth interviews with notable names from all walks of life. Because sometimes the media just doesn't get it right. The Rematch is that second opportunity to clarify, put things in proper context, correct fake news or misreported controversy, the media still exists as the most powerful entity on earth because they control the minds of the masses. I'm Atan Thomas, and the full truth is what we are aiming to catch. Many media stories omit details that would dilute their clickbait roar, and that's why there's a need for the rematch. Today, I sat down with pastor and activist Bishop Talbert Swan, we discussed LeBron James's legacy on and off the court after he passed Kareem for NBA's all-time leading scorer. We discussed the impact of his activism, his critics, because of his activism, Kyrie Irving backlash, the media, police brutality, tangible solutions to police brutality, the Tyree Nichols case in particular, and much more. This was a powerful discussion. Hope you enjoy Bishop Talbert Swan, how you doing, sir? I'm good. How you feeling? I'm blessed. You know, I'm blessed. I appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, the rematch on uh, basketballnews.com and Fly TV. And I know you've been traveling. You just got back, was it yesterday, from um, yeah. Ira Nichols' funeral. So I, I, and I saw you speak there. You know, you gave a great speech. I, I just really appreciate you coming on today. Absolutely. Glad to be here. And, um, our continued prayers go out to the family of Tyree Nichols. Definitely, definitely. You know, you said a lot in that speech. And there's, you know, it's, it's interesting looking at this topic um, and breaking everything down. You know, we I, I interviewed you for, for my book, Police Brutality and White Supremacy, uh, The Fight Against American Traditions. And we had a, a great discussion on the history of um, white supremacy and how it was interwoven into Christianity and how, you know, they, they, they utilized Christianity to justify slavery and justify, you know, murdering and raping and pillaging and enslaving our people and twisting the Bible and twisting, you know, we talked about all that, but it's, it's, and it's interesting seeing now, you know, we're still having the same conversations and the same topics in different forms. And right now, you know, we have a situation where a lot of people are are using the narrative that, well, if the police who kill Tyree Nichols are black, how can it be white supremacy? And it's an interesting, you know, discussion. I don't know how people don't understand that, you know, white supremacy utilizes many people to implement, um, you know, white supremacy. I mean, this is this is historical. I don't. I don't even know. How do you even handle that question? You know, just before we get in, into everything, how, how do you even handle that question? Yeah, you know, I um, 
I, I try to educate people on it. Sometimes people are just gaslighting and they, they fully understand um, how it happens. Um, but they're trying to create a narrative to basically dispel the reality of uh, white supremacy in America. I, an example I used today on my radio program, I said, you know what, my my car is built a, to operate a certain way. Mm-hmm. And even if you diversify the driver, even whether the driver is black, white, Latino or Asian, that vehicle is going to operate the same way, mm-hmm. regardless of who's behind the wheel. Uh, and so the apparatus of white supremacy is systemic and structural. It's not about the actions of particular individuals. It's about an inherent system that disenfranchises black people and other non-white people and uh, and benefits white folks. And so even if you put black people um, at the head of it or embed them uh, within any level um, of the workings of it, it still operates the same way. Right. And so Policing in America and so many other functions in America uh, are inherently um, racist and 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 are part of the apparatus of white supremacy. So just changing the drivers doesn't change the way the vehicle operates. I mean, I definitely agree, you know, but it's just interesting. You know, sometimes when I when I hear, you know, Fox News or, you know, I, I know what they do. And they're posing this thing. And I'm kind of like, do they do they really not understand this? Or are they just kind of playing to a certain audience that wants to hear these certain points being made? And, the you know, the an example of this is how they use um, different people in black media to be able to parrot some of these thoughts and, and things. And that's something that we've we've seen quite a bit. But that's another example of how a black face can can be the face of white supremacy in the media. You, yeah. you agree? Oh, absolutely. You know, on the on the plantation, um, they used black folks, gave them a whip and gave them certain authority uh, and made them overseers over their fellow enslaved black people. Um, and they were allowed uh, to brutalize um, and mistreat other black people all to benefit um, the white supremacist system. Uh, so I often say they changed the name from overseer to officer, uh, right. you know, in some instances, changed the apparatus and the weaponry uh, that are used, but it all, you know, meets the same end. And every time black people are poised to um, eke out some semblance of justice or freedom, there's always a black face working with our oppressors Mm -hmm. to ensure that that doesn't happen. And whether it's uh, the slave on the plantation that tells on Nat Turner Mm -hmm. uh, or, or, or the enslaved person who, who, um, who drops dime on Denmark Vesey Mm -hmm. uh, stops them from their insurrection and taking over Charleston uh, or whether it's a, uh, a Jason Whitlock or a Larry Elder or a mm-hmm. Candace Owens uh, mm-hmm. in contemporary times that are working closely um, with white supremacy to parrot a narrative um, that black folks are to blame for um, uh, for their own um, disenfranchisement. It, it all has worked the same way throughout history. We can always find someone who looks like us who will work with those who are against our progress um, and us receiving justice. You know, you mentioned Jason Whitlock and Candace Owens, and, you know, it's it it, it never fails for them to weigh in and then parrot the ideas of white supremacy when something like this happens. Like, you you know it's coming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they never disappoint. They're, like, right on cue, like they're on schedule. And it's, it's just interesting because, you know, Jason Whitlock is an interesting individual. I, you know, I actually sat on a panel with him that Spike Lee put on years ago, might, might, maybe a decade ago, um, and back in 2011, maybe. And I sat there and, you know, we were talking about a lot of different things, you know, Jim Brown's on the panel, Stephen A. Smith, you know, all these different people. And we disagreed, everybody, you know, disagreed, agreed, you know, it was at Morehouse College. 
And I listened to a lot of, I, I spoke with Jason Whitlock. And then the next day I saw what he wrote. And I was like, wow, I don't really think he even believes what he was writing. I think he just knows that that is what a certain segment wants to hear and they will reward him for it. And he wants to continuously going down this path. So I actually wrote an open letter to him, you know, kind of saying that was really before he blew up, um, you know, with them. You know, I say he blew up with them. And over the span of a decade, he's done it more and more and more. But it, but that's that's even worse. If, if he doesn't even really believe this, yeah. it's even worse that he is putting this out there and promoting these ideas and attacking black people. And, you know, and every time when a black person gets killed by the police, he's right on cue of saying, well, what is this single black mothers? What is, you know, black on black crime? What is, you know, somewhere he's pointing the, the, the blame towards the victim or, or towards black people or the black community. And, but he doesn't really believe it, but he knows he will get rewarded for doing this. That makes it worse, right? Yes. He's, he's the quintessential Stephen on the on the candy plantation mm. um you know uh, you can check the record um candace owens before ever coming out um and parroting white supremacist talking points and working for turning point usa uh, she was doing videos on um youtube um uh, for black lives matter she was she was anti-trump um diamond and silk the same thing but they found out quickly that it pays to be that black person to talk grimy about black people and to agree uh, with, with those um, on the side that are against black progress. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, many of them don't actually believe what they're saying, right. but they know what they're saying will benefit them personally. It'll get mm -hmm. them booked deals. It'll get them a television program. It'll get them a spot as a talking head on Fox News or, or, or other outlets. Um, and, and like you said, which makes it far worse right. because they don't even believe in what they're doing. They're doing it for personal aggrandizement and, and self-promotion. You know, interestingly enough, so, you know, LeBron James, you know, by the time this comes out, he'll probably have passed Kareem's, you know, all-time scoring list. So that would be the conversation of what he has accomplished there. And it's a great, great feat for him. I mean, you know, I mean, he's passing Kareem, uh, you know, and then you'll talk about where the goats and where he falls in that category. That'll be the discussion. But really, you know, what has impressed me even more about LeBron has been his activism, the way that he's used his voice, the way that he's spoken out against racism, about police brutality, you know, and then, you know, about... Uh, you know, he he he's not afraid to use his platform and not afraid to have many people disagree with him. And that's something I really got to tip my hat to him for that, because there are things that he doesn't necessarily have to do. He could have gone the route that other superstars in the past have gone that have been very quiet and, you know, didn't rock the boat at all whatsoever. But he didn't go that route. Mm -hmm. You know, talk about the significance of him, you know, using his voice the way that he has, you know, in the span of his career. Listen, I, I, I never got caught up in the who's better, LeBron or Michael Jordan um, uh, debates or arguments. He's definitely in the top um, three of, of all time, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. uh, but to your point, that is what has always impressed me about LeBron James. That's what impressed me about uh, Colin Kaepernick. It, you know, the willingness to go out on a limb um, and speak truth to power, regardless of the pushback uh, mm -hmm. and the potential consequences um, of their actions. That is a rarity, you know, even throughout history. You know, you talk about uh, Muhammad Ali's and others. Um, they are the modern day embodiment of that type of boldness um, that will utilize their significant platforms um, to speak to the issues of the day. And at the end of the day, I think if anything propels LeBron above those in his category of greatness on the court, it's what he did off the court. You know, it's interesting, even bringing back to what we talked about earlier with Jason Whitlock, you know, it, it, every, at every turn when LeBron would speak out about something, 
you would have somebody like Jason Whitlock, you know, trying to bash him, trying to cut him down. You know, he's ignorant. He's this, he's this. And, and using words to almost disparage him to make what he is saying less important. You know what I mean? Less impactful. And, you know, it's just amazing that 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 happened, that somebody would accept that role. Of course, we know historically that 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 has been that somebody has accepted the role, whether it is to infiltrate a, a black organization to, like you said, to tell on that Turner to, you know what I mean, to be that role, uh, whatever you want to call that role. We don't have to call names, but whatever that role is, mm-hmm. people have been willing to do it. But just seeing people like Jason Wintlock do that consistently, you know, with LeBron in particular, you know, it's just, it's just interesting to see. Yeah. You know, um, e- each time um, a, a, a black celebrity athlete, whatever their walk of life is, um, finds themselves in a position of using their platform um, to speak um, truth in terms of our situation. There's always going to be a black person in their category that is willing to speak against what they're doing. When, mm-hmm. when we look at the Kyrie Irving incident, uh, they trotted out several former NBA stars uh, to call him all kinds of idiots and, and, and other types of names. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you turn around and you ask the question, how many former NFL white quarterbacks have jumped on the bandwagon to condemn Brett Favre? Or, you know, any white athlete who has done or said something um, that is far more egregious than anything Kyrie ever did. But we can always find a black person who's willing to take up that role, um, you know, for the benefit of affirming themselves with um, and, 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 and getting accolades uh, from white society. You know, it's interesting. I, I um, interviewed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in, in my book, We Matter, Athletes and Activism. And we were talking about LeBron. And, you know, at that time, um, Trump was constantly trying to disparage him, try, constantly tried to, you know what I mean, talk about him. And, and Kareem made a great point. He was like, well, you know, that that is a compliment to the to the level of impact that LeBron has and, and how much of a threat he is to the opposition because uh, this is what Kareem said, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, because, you know, if he wasn't a threat, if his, if his impact wasn't the level that it was, why would the president of the United States be worried about what he said or what his opinion on something is, you know, he's, he, and, and that shows the, the, the power and the magnitude of the athlete voice. And I, I love that LeBron has utilized his voice because then it becomes inspirational to other athletes mm. to also use their voices. And that's really what I wanted to, to do with my, you know, We Matter book is to encourage all athletes to continue this tradition of activism. But, you know, that the, 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 the impact of, of their voice, I mean, that's just really a, a interesting topic. I think people don't really understand how much power is in someone like LeBron James. Yeah, well, you know, the, the sports arena is 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 one of those rare places where um it integrates whites blacks latinos asians um no matter what the walk of life is mm-hmm. everybody's got a favorite team and a favorite player on that team and often their favorite players um uh, is regardless of what their racial makeup is mm-hmm. um you you find you find the the most hardline right wing uh, Trump supporting bigot who um, will love a black athlete for what they do on the court. Right. Uh, um, what LeBron has done is he has said um, the holistic part of us is that we are more than what we do on the court. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're what we do on and off the court. We have a voice as well. Um and so when people like LeBron speak up, when people like Colin speak up, all of a sudden those same fans who love them mm-hmm. for what they do on the court want to relegate them to only the court. That's where the shut up and just dribble, you right. know, just going out there and catch a ball and entertain us. That's all we want you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but what LeBron is doing is he's he has expanded his reach 
beyond dunking a basketball or scoring 50 points. I, you know, I'm going to score some points in the public sphere and speak on behalf of my people. And he's done a masterful job at that. And I think people ought to applaud him for what he's done. And, you know, talk, talk about the, the attacks that he got. So, so you have one side that applauds him for it. Another side that viciously attacks, like not just disagrees, you know, not just has a different opinion, but viciously attacks. Um, you know, it, it's 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 amazing, but it's it's and almost as if they're viciously attacking um, in a way that they want to discourage other athletes from from doing the same. That's you know exactly I mean? that's exactly what they want to do. It you know it reminds me of um, you know Eddie Murphy was doing stand up uh, and and he was talking about. Um, you know, how people celebrate him as a comedian and a celebrity. Um, but then when they don't recognize who he is, he's just another nigger. Uh-huh. And, and he talks about, you know, walking in a truck full of white guys riding by yelling epithets at him, nigger, this nigger, that. And then when he puts his head up and they see who it is, they're like, Eddie, Eddie, <laughs> all of a sudden they, 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 he was a nigger a minute ago. Right, now, right. now he's Eddie. Yeah. And, um, and that's exactly how it is. You know, they'll cheer LeBron as long as he's on the court, right. you know, doing what they want him to do. But the moment he begins to utilize his voice and mm-hmm. speak against some of the things that they are completely in line with, um, then they will turn on him in a heartbeat, um, as they will any other athlete. He, he then be he then magically transformed from the superstar athlete to the quintessential nigger in their minds. Um, and then he becomes everything uh, vile that they can think of uh, in the book. And and you're right, vicious attacks. The same thing. Everybody loved Muhammad as long as he just was in the ring knocking people out. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he started saying, you know, when he when he refused to go in that draft right. and said, a Viet Cong ain't never called me nigger. Right. Uh, the same folks who loved Muhammad uh, began to hate who he was and what he stood for. Um, so as long as we stay on cold with what we're supposed to be, as long as we stay in our place, you know, mm-hmm. as to where they have designed for us to be, we're fine. But the moment we get off cold and we get outside of that box, then we become everything but a child of God. And, and it's, it's just so amazing. I mean, people are kind of glossing over it now and they don't want to talk about it now anymore. But the way that I saw everybody kind of turn on Kyrie after mm-hmm. he shared the link, um, Hebrews to Negroes, and the way that they used, to all of your points earlier, as far as using black people in particular in the media to bash him, uh, former black players to bash him. You know, and it was like it was like everybody got the same memo <laughs> to, to bash him yeah. collectively at the same time. And I'm talking about black media. I'm not even talking about, you know, other media and other people in Fox News and say, I'm not even talking about them. I'm talking about specifically black media. Everybody mm-hmm. was on the same page as bash Kyrie. He's anti-Semitic, you know, denounce him. He's, he's dumb for doing that. How dare he do that tweet? We, and I was just like, wow, all, all of that. I'm like, did he say any of the things that you were attributing him to right. believe? In? He just shared the tweet and said he this he didn't agree with all of it, but he thought it was something that he wanted to share for the information. But it yeah. just it just kind of goes to show you how um, you know you have to stay in a certain area, or else everybody will turn on you like quick, like just like that. And, of, you know, of course, there was other they bring up other things that they had issues with Kyrie, like, oh, he didn't take the vaccine. Oh, he took off here. I'm like, well, what does any of that have to do with right now? Now you're you're making a whole list now. And it's just it's just amazing to me to see everybody collectively do that. And I I, and I wanted you to touch on this a little bit um, and not even from this perspective of people who legitimately watched the documentary and had different points that they agreed with or disagreed with. Not even talking about that, because that's what anything. I'm talking about, the, the, let's first start with the black media in particular, who just went on a straight bashing, attacking him, vilifying him, de- demonizing him. That 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 really bothered me. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it Like you said, it's like they all got a memo. They all got their marching orders. Um, they were all told exactly uh, what to say and what to do. Um, and it was a bash Kyrie fest among right. um uh, former athletes and the black media. Um, 
and my question to them is, um, um, where's your level of consistency? Uh, if you're going to bash Kyrie for alleged anti-Semitism, and once again, um, I hate even using that term because yeah. you know, uh, for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're going if you're going to do that, um, then where's your consistency in condemning other folks for their anti-blackness? Um, um, case I'll use this as an example. Everyone went in on on Kanye. Um, um, when he when he when he when he talked about Hitler, when he said some other things, um, when he did the uh, when he did the Black Lives Matter T-shirt, though, it was a Jewish um, clothing distributor. Matter of fact, the founder of L.A. Apparel, who he was working with, who was prepared to distribute those White Lives Matter T-shirts mm. as soon as Kanye offended the Jewish community. That person decided they're going to cut the deal. They're not going to distribute the T-shirts. And so my question was, why was he willing to distribute those anti-black T-shirts? But all of a sudden, now he can't do it. No one condemned him for that level of hypocrisy. Right. Um, um, Kyrie comes out, shares a link, says, hey, you ought to you ought to take a look at this. Uh, You know, there's some things in here you may agree with. There's some things you don't agree with. And it's like black folk got marching orders what they needed to do for this young man. Yet when I've never heard the same folks condemn Nick Fuentes, Mm. never heard them condemn Donald Trump uh, for his anti-Semitism. I've never heard them condemn uh, many uh, right wing evangelicals who Mm -hmm. use Israel for their own particular reasons, but are completely anti-Semitic. Never never heard them do that. And then, conversely, when you talk about a Tyree Nichols, and when you talk about these other incidents of police brutality Mm -hmm. um, and anti-Blackness, where are those voices? Where is, where's the Charles Barkley's and the Shaquille O'Neal's on this case with Tyree Nichols, or the cases that preceded that case? Now, if you can't speak out against the brutalization of black bodies. Mm-hmm. If you can't speak out uh, on anti-blackness, what's the um, um, the sports team owner um, um, who, who who came out uh, utilizing the N-word uh, and such, and they, they fined him but didn't force him to sell his team like they did um, Donald Sterling back in the mm-hmm. day? Um, mm-hmm. my, my question is, where were your voices in that incident? Um, right. All of a sudden, you're so bold when it comes to condemning your brother, but we can't find you. You're quiet as a rat peeing on cotton <laughs> when it comes to to speaking out against anti-blackness that happens around you every single day. I mean, and then you'll have someone like Jerry Jones, and the picture came out about Jerry Jones, and then you'll have certain people in the black media rushing to defend him. <laughs> like, they, not in, not even just, you know, him rushing to his defense. I was like, wow. This, and it's the same people who rush to condemn Kyrie, to criticize Kaepernick, to criticize, you know what I mean? It's those the same exact people. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they with, with the quickness, not only did they rush to defend Jerry Jones, um, um, the... the uh, uh, the owner of the UFC that, that uh, Dana White, who smacked his oh, wife, up, yeah. um, they ran to defend him as well. Oh, that's a one-time incident. We don't know. He's apologized to so on and so. And I could not see the same people who were giving him the benefit of the doubt, right. uh, saying that that was probably the first time giving that level of grace to a black man had he done the exact same thing. Um, and so you got to question the veracity of these folks that are so quick to defend white folks for things that they would throw a black person under the bus for doing. Then my other question is like, you know, I got to ask Stephen A. Smith, you know, because everybody's a good friend, a dear friend. How come you got so many racist good friends? I'm, I, you know, I'm I'm confused about that. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I mean, he, he does seem to vouch for a lot of people who tend to be yeah. on the, on the side like of racism. Every time a white person in the sports world does something crazy and anti-black, you know, he's always out there talking about what a wonderful person that they are. They might be wonderful to you, right? Uh, but they ain't wonderful to the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. But that... But even even, you know, and the thing is, it's not just one key person. It's not, you know, it's a whole collective group. And that's the part where, you know, when you were making a connection earlier as far as how black people were utilized um, to support white supremacy. And even what we started off with, with um, Tyree Nichols of those those black police officers and how, you know, they're a part of the system of white supremacy. So it's the, the, the notion that you know, it can't be a part of, you know, the entire system of white supremacy if there are black faces involved. That's just, that's, that's just not true. Your black faces in white spaces does nothing to dismantle white supremacy. You've mm-hmm. got to dismantle systems and structures. You've got to go after laws, policies, uh, procedures, practices, to dismantle, to begin to dismantle white supremacy. The reality is this, those same five black officers, Mm -hmm. even if there were no cameras, would have never beat a white man the way that they did Tyree Nichols. And the reason they wouldn't have done it is because they would have known that they would never get away with it. They thought because of the history of white supremacy in policing, because of what they have seen through the years, that they could brutally beat this man, go back to the police station, make up a story in their police report, and that they would walk away scot-free and get away with what they did. That's the reason they did it. And only in a white supremacist system would they do that. And. You know, it's it's interesting in, in, in looking at this, and I'm gonna you know use a different example, another example um, from my book, Police Brutality and White Supremacy: uh, The Fight Against American Traditions. Um, I spoke to a, um, a a young man named uh, Corey McCoy. So now Corey McCoy's brother was Willie McCoy, and Willie McCoy was killed at the Taco Bell in Vallejo, California, if you remember. So he was, he fell asleep. He was asleep in a parking lot. Somebody called from the inside of the of the, of the um, Taco Bell for the police just to do a wellness check, yes. just to check and make sure he's okay. He's asleep, the car is still running, just check on him. And the police came, of course, with guns blazing, shot into the car. They said they saw, they thought they saw something that could have been a gun. There was no gun found, but they, they murdered him. And um, the report that they initially gave before the video came out, it absolved them of any wrongdoing. They they didn't describe it as far as what really happened. But then the video came out later and then people saw what it really happened. So that's one situation. I I spoke to Stephen Jackson, former NBA player in my book, um, and we talked about George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened there where their initial police report after they murdered George Floyd didn't mention anything about, you know, restricting his breathing, kneeing on his neck, none of that stuff. The way that they described it, you know what I mean, was he just happened to 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 die. And and if it wasn't for 16, 17 year old Darnella Frazier, we would have never seen that video. And so we saw that. We saw the police report initially come out and then the video came out later and it was completely opposite of what the, the video said. Yeah. Now we, we move to Tyree Nichols. The same thing happened again with these cops. Their initial report was completely different than what when this video came out and what was described in the video. So this is a pattern of like it doesn't make sense to have like they're not going to tell on themselves. They're not going to they're not going to say that. we. It's like almost, you know, you. You're expecting them to to report on themselves to get themselves in trouble. They're going to lie and say, but that's a bad setup. Mm-hmm. So so the whole setup. So when people don't understand how, you know, this entire system is built for police not to have accountability for not them, not you're, you're asking them to hold themselves accountable. 
somebody else has to hold them accountable, not themselves. Yeah, there's no checks and balances. There are no checks and balances. When 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 I write a report mm-hmm. about my own behavior, what do you think that report is going to actually say? Right. It's it's not going to say, well, you know, I you know I made a mistake. I did the wrong thing. It's always going to give the best case scenario that will give me the best possible outcome. Another mm-hmm. example, uh, Laquan McDonald, mm-hmm. you know, in Chicago, the yeah. mayor of the city who now works for the Biden administration, mm-hmm. helped cover that up mm-hmm. by burying the video. And a court had to order them to release that video, which showed the police shooting him in the back 16 times. Mm-hmm. Um, this happens over and over again, where a police report is the exact and polar opposite of the facts of what actually happened, which is the reason why whenever the the, the media um, writes about an incident based on what the police told them mm-hmm. and, and the white folks say, well, see there, Bishop, he did have a gun. I'm like, oh, yeah, the police report said that. Oh, the police never lie, right? Right. So, right. So I, I'm I'm supposed to just believe, you know, what the media repeated or regurgitated directly from the police. Black people know that cops lie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think white folks know cops lie. They're just more willing to believe the lies of the police officer because um, of 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 their racism. That they're willing to believe whatever they say about black people. Um, and and that's a reality in America. That's part of the white supremacist system, which is why you can't just throw a black police chief in, throw a black captain in, throw some black sergeants in and say, see, you got all these black people. So you can't complain about racism anymore. No, it's a, they're, they're just driving the same white supremacist vehicle that white folks have been driving all these years. But but they know that though they know they know that the system setup is not is not for real accountability. There's there, they can make adjustments to have outside and and you know independent investigators investigate a case, not internal investigations where they're having their 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 buddies investigate them. You know like you know like when you know back in the day we were little um, and you know you're in school and they say okay pass your pass your test to the person next to you and y'all grade each other's tests and it's your friend. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to say, oh, he got that wrong, that wrong, that wrong. That's just not the way that it works. But that's what they're doing with the police right now. And and when they say, when, when mainstream America says, you know, a video comes out or something like that, okay, we'll, we'll hold on, let's wait for the facts to come out. Mm-hmm. And the facts that they are talking about coming out is the police's story. And it's right. just a story. It's not facts. We've seen time and time again that they do not tell the truth. They fought, but, but there should be a penalty for falsifying a police report. That's Listen, a fair penalty. Right now, we have a police chief in the city that I live in mm-hmm. who was convicted of falsifying a police report. Okay. Um, that conviction got overturned on a technicality. Um, uh, she's what we call here a Brady cop. Um, um which and so there's a there's a law that says it's named after a cop who was convicted of falsifying police reports, et cetera, that anytime you have a Brady cop, the um, the prosecutor has to um, let the defense lawyers know um, that this cop has this on their record, which is why prosecutors are reluctant to use Brady cops because defense lawyers can then go back into their past and say, this cop was convicted of lying on a police report before. What mm-hmm. makes you think they're telling the truth now? Mm-hmm. My question is, why are cops who lie on police reports allowed to remain on the force in the first place? Mm-hmm. And then secondly, how are they allowed to move up the ranks and actually become a chief and take over a department and then talk about they're going to be the ones to root out corruption when they are part of the corrupt system that exists in the first place. Mm -hmm. So once again, this is systemic. (laughs) You've got to change the system 
and not the people who work in the system. And as long as we're not willing to change the system, listen, you and I are going to be old and gray and still having this conversation. And, and, and what you're talking about as far as the priors, you know, whenever, whenever, you know, a black man is, is murdered by the police, the first thing they do is the, the black man who was murdered is the one who goes on trial. Then they yeah. start talking, but they never talk about the police officer's um, background and his priors. And every single policeman, you know, when you when you look at that, they've had an incident in the past where they've had at least a complaint about police brutality. Yeah. I mean, you mm-hmm. go from Daniel Pantaleo in New York, who killed Eric Garner. You go to if you really look up and see all the stuff that he had prior to that, you know, it's like, why is he even on the force? You go to Betty Shelby in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Who, who murdered Terrence Crutcher. She's had all of these priors and these complaints about police brutality and, and you know, all of these different things that she that she's done. And the question has to be, why are they on the force in the force? Like, yeah. what does it take for a policeman or a policewoman to be removed from the force, you know, yeah. after so many complaints? Like, what is what does it take? It's rarely ever their first rodeo. When 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 you look at a video and you see a police officer going ham on someone, whether they're beating someone, shooting them. Uh, it's rarely ever their first time engaging in that level of behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, you even have incidents where um, cops are yet on the force, yet on the streets, policing folks that cities and towns and states have literally paid out millions of dollars to settle lawsuits mm-hmm. because of their behavior. You know, um, and so, you know, you have the police unions and other entities that protect bad cops. There's no reason for any police officer who has cost a city millions of dollars in a lawsuit to still keep their job. In what other industry do right. you know of that you can literally cost your employer mm-hmm. millions of dollars mm-hmm. and still keep your job other than policing, there's no other profession right. where you can mess up so bad <laughs> that I, as your employer, got to pay somebody five million dollars and yeah. you get to stay on the job. Right. There, it just doesn't happen. You know, I want to ask you about this because uh, LeBron James um, made a tweet right after the, the Tyree Nichols um, incident became public. And his tweet said uh, something to the effect that we are our own worst enemy. I don't know if you saw that. And so a lot of people responded very strongly um, to his tweet. And I wanted to get your response to it because I, I, I can give you mine, you know, after you give yours. But what, what was your reaction to that tweet? So my reaction is I agreed with it, um, but I think it 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 was missing context Okay. Um, um, in that if you look at five officers beating a black man, you can't talk about that and divorce from it the white supremacist system that is American policing that allowed those black men to feel like we can beat this black man and get away with it. Um, um, but in terms of um, feeling like Black men beating another black man and abusing their power, knowing that uh, we already have to fight against this wicked system that extrajudiciously uh, brutalizes um, and takes away black life. I can understand saying, you know what, this is a shame that this happened with black men engaging in the same behavior that they see white folks uh, engaging in. And to that point, we are our worst enemy. I understand him saying that, but you've, you've got to put that in context. Yeah. You know, it's so I, I get the backlash. Yeah. It's, it's a little tough to really sum up everything in a tweet. That's more of a, you have to have a conversation about that. That's, you have to break it down because you, you need to write an op-ed on that. Right. 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 Because I mean, you know, for me, you know, I do expect more from black policemen. I do expect more for like, it's like when you're you're driving and you're pulled over and you see the lights and everything like that. Then you see the black policeman come out. You're like, okay, whew, I can, I can, I can relax a little bit. You know what I mean? Not completely, but I can relax a little bit. Um, but then you, you know, you see the, the black police one is the one who pulls you out the car and throws you on the hood. Then you're like surprised because you don't expect for him to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and it, there like is you know, backwards to prove 
I'm not going to be soft on black people. Oh, 100%. 100%. But that was also the reason why, you know, I was so shocked to see the, and my reaction was so strong of seeing the black people in the media be the ones to go and bash Kyrie the way that they did. Because yeah. I didn't expect, I mean, I expect that from certain people, you know what I mean? In the media, mainstream, Fox News, you know, even them, CNN, whatever. I don't expect that from black media, you know what I mean? And they were like taking their turns out. I, I was on this program with Torrey and I, I've read Torrey and stuff for the longest, but the way that he started bashing Kyrie, I was like, whoa, like, are you serious, man? <laughs> like, and I, but, but it's not just Torrey, just one person. It's all, you know, I could go down the list and name, because it was really, like we said, everybody was like, on, like they got the same memo and they had to say the same things. And then so you have I, to ask those folks, where are y'all when they're unnecessarily going after uh, other black folks? You know, yeah. when, 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 when you see uh, an incident where, where they go after Toni Morrison because uh, of her stance, um, when they go after an Angela Davis because uh, she speaks on behalf of Palestinian people, mm-hmm. where are these same black media personalities? When, when a CNN fires a Mark Lamont Hill um, for saying he wants to see a free Palestine from the river to the sea, right. of course, not in any way meaning the same thing that Hamas means. Right, right. Um, but CNN gets rid of him. Then they mm-hmm. turn around and they bring Bill Maher on. <laughs> That's another story. Right, um, <laughs> right. But where are you in terms of speaking on behalf of, of us mm-hmm. when that same community comes out to take away people's resources and ruin people's careers? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's like they're afraid. It's like they... It's like they have some kind of marching orders that, you know, thou shalt condemn black people who offend us. Mm-hmm. But then you will say nothing when we do something that's against black people. Right. Um, it, it's amazing that we have people out there that have platforms, that have influence, that are willing to march to their drum, but not do the same thing in condemnation mm-hmm. of the things that they do. And the level of expectation is different. For, for me, the level of expectation is different from black media, just like the level of expectation is different from black police officers or black teachers. You know what I mean? Or, or black whatever positions that people in. Yes, of course, the levels should be should be different. But it's interesting. Um, you know, in, in my book, again, I interviewed Captain Sonia Pruitt. Um, she's a retired policeman from Montgomery County. She was a, a captain. And um, in Police Brutality and White Supremacy, the fight against American traditions, she said that many policemen, and I'm paraphrasing, but she said many policemen have to choose whether they're going to be black or they're going to be blue. Mm. And many, you know, that's that's what that's the choice and the dilemma that many black police officers face. And you'll see a lot of times, you know, You'll say, brother, how can you? And they're like, I'm not your brother. Like, they'll say that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever heard a black police officer say that. Oh, they I make that distinction. I, I am not your brother. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and that is just, you know, you have that expectation that there is going to be a certain level of connection because, yes, you are a black man and I'm a black man. Yeah. And so that's what I heard from LeBron's tweet. But he has to. You know, like you said, that got to be an op-ed. That got to be a whole conversation to break down. You can't, you can't sum that up in a tweet. Yeah, you know, what I said was, uh, uh, in response to the same incident, I said, I said, black men have to stop putting on blue uniforms and acting like they're white. Mm. Um, mm. You know, uh, uh, she said they got to decide whether they're black or blue. Mm. Um, I say that. Um, they put on the blue and then somehow think that they they can do the same thing that white folks can do. Right. Um, and they're going to find out that that system that protects white folks for doing certain thing, it doesn't afford you the same level of protection. Now, one of the things that that um, attorney Ben Crump said is that he wanted this to be a watershed moment. That's the word that he used, the phrase that he used where now we see how swiftly, I mean, everybody had, anybody with eyes had to have noticed how swiftly these five black officers were brought to justice. Like, I don't think, I I mean, it was, it was quick. (laughs) And so, so now moving forward, 
is that going to be something that's going to be um, a practice that extends to white officers? I don't have much hope in that, but I understand that he was saying that he hopes this is a watershed moment and now they can use the swiftness of how these five um, officers were brought to justice to now, you know, I make the case that this, that these should happen in other other situations where there are white officers. I just, I, I, I'm not holding out too much hope that that's going to translate when there are white policemen. But what, what do you think? Let me tell you, that's what you think. That's not going to happen. That's mm-hmm. not even going to happen in Memphis. <laughs> where, oh, wow. Where, yeah. where, 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 where this quickly happened, uh, this unprecedented timeline of being terminated within 10 days, being charged uh, with murder uh, within 20 days, you are not going to see white men engage in the same behavior and face that level of justice that quickly. And it still remains to be seen whether or not they're convicted. And if they are convicted, what level of sentencing they will receive. So this marathon is not yet over, but you're not even going to see it get to this point in in that level of time now i'm I'm hoping i'm wrong i Mm. i i hope that the system will shock me and say you know what we learned a lesson um you know from the tyree nichols case and and we're going to use that as the model and we're going to move swiftly um so that we can mitigate these cases and hold people accountable um in an expeditious manner but like you, I'm, I'm not holding out um, to see that happen. And then at the end of the day, like I said, it still remains to be seen what level of justice they're going to see. We also have to remember, um, even in a predominantly black city like Memphis, um, you're still subject to have all white juries. Um, uh, mm. Now, they may be more willing to convict black officers than they mm-hmm. would uh, white officers. So. So, so I, I do think they'll be convicted. I do think they'll get get sentences, um, but we'll we'll then be talking about the disparity between the level of sentence they got in comparison to white officers. You you look at a Jason Van Dyke in Chicago, the one who murdered Laquan McDonald, mm-hmm. who only got sentenced to six years and got out after three. He's walking free right now. Um, you know, we look at an Amber Geiger who killed both and John. She got 10 years. You know, she's going to be walking very soon, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. um, there's no way she's going to do all all 10 of those years. So when you right. think about the fact that a black person will get sentenced to a longer sentence um, for a drug possession or for harming an animal, right. then a white cop will get for actually murdering a black person. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm not going to keep you too long. You know, I could talk to you all day, but let me just uh, sum it up with this. Um, you know, you are a a bishop, a man of the cloth. And I've always you know, told you this repeatedly, how much respect I have for you and your willingness to talk about racism, about white supremacy, about injustice, about police brutality in a way that you don't see a lot of men of the cloth speaking to. Um you know, and especially and definitely not on a consistent basis. And then your willingness to call out white evangelicals um, who are posing as Christians. I'll say it like that. And, and, and you know, echoing some of the sentiments of their forefathers where they're intertwining and twisting um, scripture to be able to support racism and white supremacy. But you call it out. Not, not a lot of not a lot of men of the cloth, you know, black or white have done that you know what makes you so different what makes you be able to do that and then that two-part question and then talk about the backlash that you receive for doing that yeah um you know i do it because i cannot divorce um history or our modern circumstances um from my theological perspective you know um jesus in his first message He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he have anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, um, to to deliver those that are captive. And in that context, he was talking about those that were wrongfully imprisoned because at that time, Israel uh, was occupied uh, by Rome, by a white supremacist system. So he's talking about those who are unfairly and unjustly uh, imprisoned. Um, 
to heal the brokenhearted and to set at liberty those that are oppressed. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's what he said his mission was. And how can I be an oracle of God? How can I be one who, who teaches the tenets and the teachings of Christ um, and ignore why he said he came and who he said that he came for? So I don't even understand um, clergy, black or white, Mm -hmm. who divorce the message of social justice from, uh, from their message. You know, when over 2,000 times the Bible talks about just what does the Lord require of thee, uh, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. People think this was a MLK quote, but it was MLK actually quoting the book of Amos when he said, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. So I can't divorce the message of justice from scripture. Mm -hmm. uh, and therefore I have to be one who stands up for it and who speaks out um, on behalf of those persons who are oppressed. I'll leave it with this. James Cone, the great theologian, said any authentic theology must affirm that God is on the side of the oppressed. Mm -hmm. um, those are the people that we have to speak for. And of course, just like Jesus got backlash. See, people have to realize <laughs> Jesus was lynched because uh, he fought against a white supremacist system of oppression. Mm. Um, um, I know people, we like to use the term, he died for our sins. Yes, that too. Um, uh, but he was lynched by a white supremacist system uh, for being a radical agent of change. Mm. Um, and anybody who speaks truth to power is going to face backlash. And so on a consistent basis, you know, I get death threats. Um, oh, wow. I get, I get, you know, I, I, I have a, I actually have an FBI agent on speed dial who mm. consistently, I just email him the latest death threat I got. They, they literally call my church to give me death threats. Wow. Um, wow. Um, 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 I mean, all kinds of vitriol all over social media. I get emails and I get crazy. People still put a, 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 a letter in an envelope and put a stamp on it and go to the post office and send it to me. Um, you know, it's, it's all kinds of crazy backlash that, that I've been getting consistently over several decades um, from folk, which is, which is crazy because a lot of these folks call themselves Christians. I get emails and stuff from white preachers, evangelical preachers. Hmm. Uh, one such white evangelical preacher who reached out to my national denomination, basically telling them they should remove me as a bishop. Um, um, this, this, this guy had the audacity to say that he hopes that I get blood clots that stop my heart and that I drop dead. But yeah. but you're but you're pro life, right? Right. <laughs> but you're a Christian, yeah. and, and you're hoping that I drop dead. And and here's the thing: white fragility is something else, um, because you got to think about it when you talk about everything that black people have been through. Mm -hmm. uh, I had one person uh, uh, compare me to the Ku Klux Klan. I said now. The Klan literally lynched, brutalized, burned down whole black towns, yeah. raped black women, kidnapped black children, lynched black men. I hurt your feelings on Twitter. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'm just like the Klan. Right. You're so fragile that you're comparing hurting your feelings on Twitter to everything that black people have been through. It's, wow. it's, 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 it's insane. Wow. And, and that that uh, white evangelical pastor, you know, that you referenced, didn't he say that publicly? Because it seemed like I, re I saw that on social yeah. media. He didn't. It wasn't just a quiet, you know, thing that he said and, you know, quietly. He literally said that to everyone. Yes, absolutely. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, uh, let me just say, you know, you know, praying for your safety um, and for you to continue to, you know, use your voice and your platform. I mean, it's 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 so important. Um, you definitely need some security because we got to keep you safe. You know what I mean? If you don't have that, you, you know, you have to be careful and, you know, just moving, you know, people don't like the truth. Yeah. Um, people get very offended and upset at the truth and they lash out. 
And, you know, we, we, we need your voice. So I don't know how many. I always, I always know whenever right wing media covers something I said or did, I get an immediate increase in death threats. So if wow. all of a sudden I'm getting a bunch of death threats on my voicemail, I, I do a search and I'm like, oh, Fox News said something about me <laughs> wow. or, the, or the Daily Caller or one of these. And then they all flock to the phones, flock to the inboxes. It's it's insane. Wow. Wow. Well, I can't say it enough. Please keep yourself protected and safe. Um, you know, I, I can't say it enough. But much respect to you. You know, I kept you for an hour. Uh, a little bit longer than I planned to keep you. But like I said, I could talk to you all day. But much respect to you. Keep doing what you're doing. I know you are. Um, you know, and look forward to us continuing to, you know, you know, combine on different things. And, you know, I want to keep reading your stuff. And, you know, if you have a, um, a book that's coming out soon, let me, you know, if you want to promote it or anything like that. But like I said, much respect to you. All right. Appreciate you, my brother. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Rematch. You can find more episodes on basketballnews.com. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can also find my articles on basketballnews.com, along with exclusive content from Kenyon Martin, James Posey, and more. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Thomas 36 Let me know what you thought of this episode and who you'd like to see as a guest. I would love your feedback.